0: Hello, everyone who's watching us tonight. And we again with questions to Pastor Rod. How are you doing, Pastor Rod, tonight? I'm
1: doing very well, thank you.
0: Okay, give us a little bit of background how your week goes and how
1: you're um, doing. My week's going going well. Um, what's interesting is I find myself busier now, okay. which is strange. Um, but um, I'm doing well. Um, uh, my, my back is feeling a lot better, so that's good. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing okay.
0: Okay, yeah. good to hear. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we're here tonight to ask a question you send on our email, like infogatewaylife.org, or send direct in a realm. This is our church uh, channel we communicate together. Thank you for your questions. And today we're gonna ask Pastor Rod if he knows something to share with us, the answers, to give us clarity on these questions we have. So enjoy this time with us, and uh, we're gonna start with first question. Okay. So, and the question is, what does the name Christ mean? Is that Jesus' last name?
1: Jesus Christ, yes, yeah, his it's his last, it's his <laughs> last name. No. Um... The word Christ um, is the word anointed one, it means the Messiah. It actually, comes from the Greek word Christos and the Latin word Christus, but it is it is the might want to say the the New Testament way of identifying the Messiah. So when when we find Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, Jesus is his might um, say family name. But it's Jesus who is the Christ. So it's Jesus of Nazareth who is the Christ. And so theologically we just put that together and say, you know, here's Jesus the person, here's Christ the 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 Son of God, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the deliverer. Okay. Yeah.
0: Thank you for clarity on the Christ. And because for some people it's no, like, it sure. make no sense, sure. like, why Christ, uh, what is Christianity, why this last right. name is, sure. is there. So it's a miss, m- m- Messiah. Mm-hmm. So mean mm-hmm. Messiah. Thank you. So the second question, so we go forward faster, mm-hmm. we have a lot of questions from you. And the second question is, what book from the Bible do you recommend reading in May? And any good books you recommend for casual reading? Oh, what
1: book do I re- recommend for reading in May? Well, let me think through this. Um, so the question is if you're wanting to read for, for breadth or you're reading for depth. And, and so I, I would say, first of all, just big picture, I would want someone to be making sure that they're working their way through the whole Bible and my recommendation is that they're using a plan like the Robert Murray McShane reading plan whether they're doing it in a year or they're using it as the tool to get them through because that takes them um, into different genres as they go you're not locked into one genre the whole time and feel like oh this is so hard right so that's reading for for breadth right? and I would just recommend that you just continue that plan um, However, I do think that taking a month and saying I want to dive into a particular book of the Bible is it's a really good way to go, and um, I would uh, I would make some recommendations. Now, if if this is new to you, um, I think it's it's an advantage that in the Bible we have some books that are smaller and some books that are bigger. Um, God is not measuring your Christian spirituality based on your ability to master a bigger book. But I would encourage someone, if they haven't done this before, is to take a smaller book of the Bible and just read it and reread it and, 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 and let it kind of sink in. And so I think, if I was thinking um, Old Testament, um, I'd be thinking um, Ruth. Um, I'd be thinking um, maybe Jonah. In the New Testament, I'm thinking Philemon, um, or even, even Jude, although Jude can be somewhat complex. The point is, over the course of a month, you can read it and study it and glean so much from it because it's 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 manageable, and you will learn then how to approach that one book. So that's one way to do it, right? So I don't have a particular book based on where we are, um, but there are some things to think about. If, if maybe you've done this before, um, I definitely would encourage you to read um, Ezra and Nehemiah together in, in, as a group, because the book of Ezra, often neglected in the Old Testament, is a great book about God's work um, through His people, but who are seeing God's hand at work in how He controls and orders those who are pagan leaders. And it's really powerful. And then of course you get into Nehemiah and you get the fruit of that and as well as those pagan leaders still supporting what he's doing. But when you pick it up with Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the whole package and that used to be how they were grouped together anyway. So that's just a great, a great um, book. In the the New Testament, um, probably three books I would try and say if you've never done it before, uh, or say if if you have done it before would be um, Philippians, and partly there because I think the emphasis there, although many people think it's joy, it's actually this, this whole idea of koinonia, what does it mean to be a community? And what does it mean to partner together? Uh, another book would, would be Colossians because it really it's practical, although it is theoretical, it's practical in talking about what does it mean to be in Christ? Um, but another one I would challenge people on would be the book of Romans. And what I would say is, if you can read Romans um, a a few times, just in one sitting, rather than taking it in little bits, you begin to see Paul's logic. You you see he's asking all these questions and he's answering them. And then that produces another question. And so he's answering that question. And so you see that he's having this kind of flow of thought, this logical thought, where if you're just reading it, you know, a chapter here and a chapter there, a chapter there, you don't, you don't get the impact of that. Um, so, those would be some that I would recommend. Um, but the reality is, just like as, as we're going through on Sunday, um, sometimes we wanna we want find, Well, this is gonna be relevant for us now. Well, is always relevant. And choose, choose something, jump in, find out how God uses it to speak into your life and, and trust that the, the Holy Spirit's work through that will benefit you in that moment. And there were two parts to that question, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The second one had to do with other books to recommend. Is that right? So...
0: Casual reading.
1: Okay, casual reading. Um, well, here are some books that I think that I would encourage people to read if they haven't done or to read repeatedly, maybe every, every year or every couple of years or maybe every three years. One would be Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian life by Don Whitney, and um, he does such a great job of laying out some of the basic spiritual disciplines for the Christian life um, and has application kind of points at at the end of each chapter that help you reflect on it, and it's really a good way to kind of uh, recalibrate your your discipline walk with God. I find it to be a really, really helpful tool. So I, mm-hmm. in, in my copy, I actually have a couple of copies, but you know, there's multiple highlighting from different years and different seasons in my life. So there's that. Um, another one I think is just a great book is uh, uh, C. J. Mahaney's um, The Cross-Centered Life. I think he really does a great job of summarizing what it means to walk with the Lord and um, be gospel-centered. Um, uh, another one would be um, what we've handed out many times, especially when people join our church, is What is a Healthy Church? by uh, Thabiti Anyabwile. Um And I think, I think it's really practical. I think it's really helpful. And it kind of forces you to think, how am I actually interacting with the church body that God has called me to? So that's just some casual reading. The other thing I just really encourage is the reading of biographies. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because you you can identify many times with with this person not maybe because they're a pastor or because they're a missionary or something like that but because they're a Christian who's going through different things and and um what you see in them is also true of what you see just in 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 average people who are not necessarily big name front lines but they're they're going through different things and God is providing god is is revealing his will or he's meeting a need, and it's just encouraging to be reminded through the, the, the life and the testimony of someone um, of, of what it means to walk with God and, and to realize these people weren't perfect. They had sinful struggles, just like we do, and um, takes them from that superhuman status that we talked about on Sunday and brings them down to um, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who serve God with the gifts that God gave them. Um, So I think those would be some things, you know, some recommendations. Biography, I mean, Bonhoeffer would be one. Um, You know, I'm a pastor, so I tend to lean toward ones that are about pastors, but Bonhoeffer's quite a story just because of what he went through with, you know, the Nazi uprising and being in the midst of all that. Um, Of course, there's um, John Piper's The Swans Are Not Silent series, which basically is a collection of his um, his biographical talks that he does at every one of the pastor's conferences that he had at his pastor's conference. Each year he would choose one, and he would spend the whole year reading different biographies and bringing it all together and kind of, so it's 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 the nuggets of all that. Um, really, really good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So those would just be some things that I would, I would recommend. It just depends on how much you want to get into it, um, but biographies for me I think are really, really helpful. and the thing about a biography is is you are just you're reading for enjoyment so you can stop anytime you're not trying to like i i've, I've got to get through this chapter and get to the next one and it's just I wonder what's going to happen next and that that can be really enjoyable
0: okay thank you yeah thank you for the recommendations mm-hmm. i want to ask you like uh, for wait a little bit on uh, stay in tune with us we will try to fix our like issue with uh, streaming so uh we're gonna post right now banner and we will try to be as soon as possible thank you hello everyone and thank you for waiting we're trying to fix our issues with stream and i think it's everything right right now so we're gonna put a recording of the first two questions um, to add to this um ask Pastor Rod, but we will continue if if you see you, you have some problem with streaming, so let us know in chat, so we will fix uh, that. So let's continue. Thank you, Pastor Rod, for waiting. <laughs> You're welcome. And uh, third question is, is the resurrection of Christ still important for today's believers?
1: For today's believers? So I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, the resurrection is not just an historical fact. Um, yeah, it's not just something that happened to Jesus and that's it. Um, it has lasting implications for us, right? So, mm-hmm. um, the same uh, pay, power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power um, by which we are saved, by which we will be raised ourselves. Um, and uh, it's that same resurrection that is the foundation for our Christian life. It is the, um, it is the fuel for our living. Um, and ultimately, it is, it is the fountain of our hope. I know the three F's there, right? But um, you know, the resurrection is critically important for us today. Um, now, we're, we're not looking to necessarily go through the exact same things that Jesus went through. Um, it's not the it's not the details of the resurrection that are an implication for us But it's the it's the accomplishment of that resurrection that, that bears fruit So like in baptism we talk about buried in the likeness of Jesus death Raised in the likeness of his resurrection or raised to newness of life mm-hmm. So that newness of life is lived out of that resurrection So yeah, absolutely. It's critical um, for uh living our walk with God right now and to uh, pursuing Christ-likeness right now.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your answer. And let's move on for the another questions. And I'm still see here. Do we uh, Alexi? Okay. I get sound, I have sound. Okay, thank you. So uh, if you have some issue with sound try to maybe restart your computer or restart your update your page so maybe it's gonna come up but everyone if you see us and hear us well please uh, post on chat plus so we will know there is like no issue on your end and no issue on our end to stream to you and we're moving forwards for a second another question sorry not second is fourth a question. Pastor, in your ser- last sermon, you mentioned quickly that if we say more than the scripture says, it can lead us to legalism. And if we say less than the scriptures say, it can lead us to worldliness. Can you please expand on that?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, so that was me. Um... Putting into a sermon because it fit just the, the, the idea of the importance of what we call staying on the line um, and that is um, that we, we, we must not say anything more than the text says we must not say anything less than the text says and the implication of that if we say more than the text says is that we end up adding to scripture so um, we think about um, Adam and Eve in the garden and God speaks and says, you know, you cannot eat from this particular, the fruit of this particular tree. Um, well, when Eve is talking to, to Satan, um, she says, yeah, we cannot eat of that fruit. Neither can we touch it. Mm-hmm. So she's actually added to what God's word was, said, um, by having an extra prohibition. Um, so we find that also with the pharisees Um, we we realize that you know god established the law and the pharisees out of respect for the law out of good intentions uh, sought to put kind of boundaries around it so that you wouldn't break the law well the actual boundaries then became the focus of attention that distracted away from the law and those boundaries ended up being the means by which people were measured and judged. So, um, so basically when we say more than the text, it says we've added to scripture. Let me give you an example. Um, this comes from my youth pastor days. Um, passage in 1 Thessalonians, um, can't remember exactly where it is, but it says, abstain from every appearance of evil. Uh, which is a great youth pastor text right you, you know don't do this and don't do that and you shouldn't have that haircut and you shouldn't wear that kind of makeup and you shouldn't go to the movies and you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't, you shouldn't. why because you don't want to appear evil mm-hmm. okay um and the problem is what what was happening there is that anyone who was using that verse in that way was actually adding to what scripture says it was certainly an interpretive issue but it was an interpretive issue that ended up adding to scripture because that passage is not saying, don't do these things because people might see you. It's saying when evil rises up, we then need to avoid it. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. And so this idea of appearing, um, and of course it's from the King James Version, kind of conveyed something different in the English language than we understood it to actually mean and the intent of the author there was to say hey when evil rises up run away stay away keep away from it don't get caught up in it don't get drawn into it Um, which is different than saying you know don't wear um, a shirt with a collar up because that's sinful and the culture loves it right so um, that's the way we add to it and so that ends up being legalism when we add to Scripture, we add, add a, we add then standards and regulations and things that Scripture is not even saying. Sometimes it can be done with good intentions, but it um, it can be certainly legalistic. The opposite of that, if we say less than Scripture says. Then we're we're not actually giving the whole picture. So the idea there is you're leaving things out of Scripture, or of actually explaining what the Scripture says. So I mean, for example, we're talking about the gospel. Uh, for many people, you know, the gospel is that God loves you, right? And that's, that's basically it. God loves you. He'll take you as you are. You know, you just need to believe. Well, they're forgetting the, well, what do you do with sin? What happened with that sin? How is Jesus Christ involved in that? He's not just there to give you one big kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, kiss and a hug and welcome you in. There's something he came to do. What did he come to do? He came to down the cross, right? And, and so without that, the wrath of god is going to be poured on you well if you're not saying those things then you're you're actually opening the door now for people to say well i can i can continue in my sin and still consider myself a christian
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right so it ends up being then worldliness when you don't say what scripture says when you when you when you say less than what scripture says it opens that door and this of course happens in society today and what what happens is when when people don't want to be be confined by what Scripture actually says, mm-hmm. they will find a way to say less than what Scripture says to give them kind of freedom to have their cake and eat it too, right? To to have their sin and say, I'm a follower of Christ too. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, so, and here's the reality, though, is all of us struggle with this. Mm-hmm. All of us struggle with the motivations of our heart trying to wrestle with, do I actually want to interpret and understand scripture as it actually is given or do i really want to kind of fudge to better myself (laughs) so i can benefit from it and our our battle is always to say i want to stay on the line i don't want to say more i don't want to say less
0: Mm -hmm. thank you so there is danger in both sides absolutely so there is no no other way as to be like direct and stay on the line so right because like this way gonna lead us in in some kind of like strict direction Mm -hmm. and not really spiritual Mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. more tactical
1: well it's kind of like walking down a path and there's a ditch on both sides Mm -hmm. you want to stay on the path yeah um and uh you know either way it's going to be trouble thank you yep
0: thank you Thank you for, for the answering this question. And so we're moving forward and looks like we are streaming well, mm-hmm. so people can hear us and see us. And I hope this is going to continue. And we are continuing with our questions. So there is a question. When the children of Israel left Egypt, they took all their livestock with, with them. Why did they say they had no meat to eat? Could they not eat what they had and they uh, people ask and and bring the uh, passages from mm-hmm. the it was from exodus twelve and exodus sixteen uh, okay so when they leave and when they kind uh, complain about yeah. no meat to eat
1: so let's just quickly look at those passages and let's make sure we understand what's what's being said here. So Exodus chapter 12, and I believe what was given was verse 38. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, All right, verse 30. Let's, I'll read it from verse 37 and following. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Okay, so there's that. And then the other passage was chapter 16. 16, 6 to 12. Okay, 6 to 12, okay. And it says this. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening, meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that, you're, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. I think, first of all, um, we may be influenced by our New Testament understanding of Jesus being the bread of life, which actually refers back to this passage. We're influenced to read through the lens of the of the New Testament back to this, this context and to say, oh look, God provided manna for Israel. Um, okay, he did. But what's the context of what's going on here? Well, we read it. Um, he says, God is doing this because of your grumbling, because of your complaining um, and what you actually have here, I think, at the beginning of chapter, chapter 16 is them really exaggerating their situation. Um, oh, the food back there in Egypt is so much better. Man, if we could have been sitting around those pots of stew, it would have been so tasty and so good. So I think what's going on here is not the fact that they actually ran out of food at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think they became discontent with the food that they had and they weren't looking for what they needed, they were looking for what they craved, all right? Now, I'm gonna go to another passage of scripture, Mm -hmm. and that's Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and I think it's verses 18 and 19, somewhere in there, I'll start at verse 17, Psalm 78, verse 17. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? So it wasn't that they didn't have food. They just wanted, they wanted ice cream, you know? They wanted wanted something special, right? Um, So they spoke to God, sorry, verse 20. He struck the rod so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Verse 21. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grains uh, of heaven. So yes, manna was provision from God for the people. But it's kind of like saying this. So kids, you, you want pizza? I'll give you pizza. Here's some pizza. And I've got 10 stacks of pizza. And you're going to have to eat all this pizza right now. You're complaining that I'm giving you, you know, um, broccoli and and chicken eat this pizza and you have to keep eating it and eating it and eating it it was god's way of saying, yeah I provided this for you but i'm not happy with you you're grumbling you're complaining you're testing me um, and even more than that it wasn't because they didn't have the livestock they had all this food but they wanted what their appetites were craving at that moment mm-hmm. so it's not it's not really a positive light it's actually a negative thing whereas what we see jesus being the bread of life in the new testament people had nothing see i'm saying we read that back into this text no these people had they had food they had livestock Mm -hmm. but they weren't satisfied with it they wanted something more all right and um, i think that's the idea behind that
0: yeah even today people not satisfied with christ alone
1: right they're
0: looking for some right. kind of more so they right. they want to apply or kind of like add to the Christ right because Christ looks like not enough right. so they want something else something yeah. bigger yeah. so like they can feel they can experience so
1: yeah and i think i think also i mean the, the same attitudes that are there can be present in our context when we just view but I would say coming to faith, I'll use that in quotes, as a as a means by which I have my, my eternity settled. But now I want God to reign on me and give me all the good stuff. Well you you may not actually be saved if that's your attitude, because you're you're only wanting to kind of somehow use God for your own personal benefit. Christ is enough. He is enough. And the problem is we don't see Christ as being as beautiful and as wonderful and as the satisfaction that we need. Uh, we want all this other stuff when we should actually be focusing on our attention on, on Him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There is a next question actually leading us to the more deeper conversation about this. Mm-hmm. Does God receive the worship of Christian on Sunday, but are living in a willful and a sinful way? On other times in other words they keep returning and repeating the same things.
1: okay it's a good question it's an important question and I I think to answer the question I want to put some things into some categories here so let me let me think through this because um, there are some Christians who uh, love the Lord and are struggling with sin and commit sin during the week even on Sunday and when they're coming and gathering with God's people, they are broken. They're they're repentant. They're um, they feel unworthy. They're humble. Um, There's that group. Then there are those who identify themselves as Christians who um, who have sins that they are involved in and are joyfully pursuing those sins during the week and then come to church on Sunday and have learned the, uh, how to conform to Christian culture and how to kind of go through the motions and, and act and talk in all the right ways. So there's that person. And they're actually looking forward to Sunday being over because they want to get back into their sinful lifestyle. right? Um, and then there are those who are, I would say, professing Christians who are not real Christians who do sin and who love their sin, but also love the religious aspect of things mm-hmm. that are going on in the church. So I would, say, I would say, first of all, for that first group that sins, um, uh, yeah, God receives their worship when they come and they're, they're repentant and they're, they're, they're humble and they're saying, Lord, I, I, I need to sing this song. I need to be reminded of who you are. I need the food that you're offering from, from the pastor this morning. Um, I need the fellowship of believers. This is all part of what it means to be a community together, um, encouraging one another um, as we have opportunity to, to stir one another up to, um, to, to help encourage one another to pursue Christ. We're all sinners in that sense, striving for Christ-likeness. Um, so I think God receives that kind of worship. I, I, I think the question here probably is looking at that second group. Uh, people who have, have gotten themselves into a, a joyful rut of their sin mm-hmm. and somehow think that everything's okay if I come to church and, and kind of put on this this act, this religious act. Um, and I think when there's that willful, joyful pursuit of sin, that God is not receiving worship. There, there may be noise coming out of your mouth. There may be um, something happening in your heart. Um, and, and that's all, all, often the reason why we have a call to worship, is to say, let's let's find out why we're here. <laughs> mm-hmm. We know we're here to worship God, but why are you here? What's going on in your life? And what do you need to, at this moment, as the person is getting up and they're opening God's Word and they're talking about, we're, we're getting ready to, to worship. We're all coming from different ways. And, and that person, I'm thinking category two here, that person who is... Joyfully, willfully walking in their sin um, needs to either um, humble themselves or they will harden themselves um, more by trying to, to worship God. And and assuaging their guilt is what they're trying to do. Uh, if they're true believers, they're, they're trying to find some way to make themselves feel better so that they can go out, but they're going to go back to their sin and they know it. That's different than the person who's really struggling and is really wanting God's help. Um, So we don't want to take it it lightly. Um, And especially as it relates to things like the Lord's Supper. Um, You know, I I have total respect for someone who would come to church on a Sunday morning, we're having the Lord's Supper, who's going to say, um, you know, I I have been fighting in my heart because of this sin, and I, I am still in the thick of it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna refrain this Sunday. Um, there's a genuineness there about that that battle. And I think I, I think that's that's a wonderful reality of, of why we have the Lord's Supper. Then there are those who need it, um, who are who are broken and they're humble and they're they're looking at their life and it's a mess, but they're saying, Lord, I I I am and I want I I want to live for you and I'm I'm struggling to do this. So It's really hard to kind of give cookie-cutter categories, but I'm trying to give a Mm -hmm. sense of the fact that none of us is going to walk through the week without struggling with sin. But the question is, how are we walking into the gathering of God's people? Are we truly wanting to worship Him from a heart that is humble, that is teachable, that's repentant? Um, Or are we somehow trying to assuage the guilt that we feel by going through the motions?
0: Thank you. yeah it's interesting so I just it's remind me that I was uh, like uh, as youth and I'm not interesting I was not interested in Christianity at all and my parents just brought me to the church so but it was not my call not my uh, passion not my I'm not wanting to be there and so with in in this moment you understand you like you are here You don't know reason why right? yeah, so like uh, In this moment, you you know, you're gonna return back to your scene what you're doing every day, right? but you're just there so it can be also like the group of people who brought there for some reason by someone mm-hmm. with no reason to be there right so and 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 it's true is there is no worship in the heart and in, in the mind it just presence right and it's a dangerous state right because if you when you come to the knowledge of christ so you understand the meaning mm-hmm. and then you became true worshiper it's your mm-hmm. desire without that you just Dead to truly worshiping God
1: and yet having said all that um, I still want that person in the context of church why because the God works through the, through the ministry of the word through the fellowship of believers to to break down that person's resistance and, um, and you know and as we actually gonna jump into the plagues this Sunday you know you can either repent or you can be hardened right mm-hmm. and we would want someone to repent of their sin, of pursuing and enjoying their sin, and say, okay, I'm, I'm in the thick of the bondage of the sin, but Lord, I, I need help and I, I ask you forgiveness and now I wanna work out of it. Those are two different dynamics, but the, 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 the breakthrough can come through the ministry of the word. So we want all those people in the context of church, but the question is, is that person truly worshiping? Well, not if they're holding on to their sin and they don't care and mm-hmm. they're just they're putting on an act.
0: So it's kind of like evangelism in action. Yeah, totally. So because we don't know who's gonna be touched by Holy Spirit. Right. So yeah. So this what my parents did. Yep. And so even like if you see someone in a church and you don't know reason why he's here, so you don't know if God works in his heart or mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yes. That's really, yeah, so it's, that's really good. it's really deep. <laughs> no,
1: it's, it's it's a very helpful, practical question. I think we need to be mindful of it. We all need to get up on a Sunday morning and say, why am I doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, so,
0: Thank you. So another question is is also really like personal and practical. So what to do with social media? One of my cousin consistently posts irritating negative news reports about pastors and Christians and seems to be baiting his uh, relatives who who are Christians. His mother, sister, uncle, and quite a few cousins are believers. When I stopped responding or commenting on his posts, he started sending me off-the-wall Facebook messages. One was comforting faith teachers I told him I don't follow those people. Two more had no identification, and he couldn't even tell me who created the videos. Would you keep ignoring him, or is there a better way to respond to him?
1: Thank you. Well, my, my first response to that is um, to say that there are a number of people on my Facebook um, who might be friends of mine, you know, what, is, what does that mean anymore, right? You, know, you have a friend on Facebook um, <laughs> who posts things, you know, they're, 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 they identify as Christians and they post things and I'm just like, what are you, you know, your, your last post was a verse of scripture and the next one you're dropping the F-bomb, what, what's, what's up with that, right? So Facebook is one of those, those things, I think, that we need to say, number one, um, is there, what is your reason for going to Facebook and for having Facebook? Um, I, I have it, I benefit from it, but there are people that, that you know, that I know, who put things on there and you know what, I'm just, just not gonna respond. People will put things out there that are just so outlandish or political and they're, they're waiting for people to be drawn in, right? Um, that's not my purpose for, for Facebook, so I'm not, I'm not gonna go down that path with that kind of stuff. Uh, in this particular situation, um, it sounds to me like this person, you know, has a uh, has a uh, you know a stone in their shoe or something like that. They're just really uh, they're they're they are they they have got something to grind. They're trying to prove a point, point. and um, Facebook is just not the medium for that. As far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't I wouldn't respond to them in that in, in that medium. They are not looking for a a healthy dialogue. They are trying to make a point, and here's here's the truth: there actually may be a lot of truth to what they're showing, or what videos they might be saying, or, or you know, people under the umbrella of Christianity that they're identifying. That, that there's a lot of nasty people under that umbrella who do not honor the Lord, who are really bad examples, and and yet Facebook is still not the arena to actually have that communication. If the person, in my opinion, persists in Harassing you, um, I would I would just delete them as friends and block them, and um, uh, that would be where I would ultimately go. But it sounds here this is this is an extended family member, um, so it might be worth either having a face to face conversation or writing them an email and say, you know what, I'm I, I don't want to argue about this, and if if you put something on Facebook, I'm not going to respond. I just want you to know that. Now depending on their comfort level you know if there's something you want to talk about personally then email me we can talk about it um, but Facebook is just not the place to do that um, and and so I might show you a video and you look at a video and you're like okay well is this person actually gonna be willing to listen to what I have to say about it not likely mm-hmm. right but they may so you have to determine that but I think if that person responds back by saying well obviously you're just saying you don't you know you don't you don't want to talk and obviously because you, you you can't defend it it's like no i'm i'm not facebook that's not the purpose for facebook for me it might be for you they might get all their joys in life going on facebook and putting all this kind of stuff and you know arguing with people all over the place but that's not why why we have facebook well, I have facebook to show pictures of my kids and places i've been and maybe a thought for the day but it's It's not to get into a heated argument or something like that. So I think they're being wise and not responding. Um, But I think something needs to be communicated, not through Facebook, Mm -hmm. through another medium. Um, And um, that person, by virtue of their harassment, has lost their right to be one of your friends on Facebook. That would be my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think it's probably a good thing every once in a while to go through your friends on Facebook and... And clean house a little bit, why? Yeah, right? You know, I mean, because, I mean, you know, why they're there. Now, I, I'm thankful for Facebook because I have friends from from like England, from other places, that I have on there, and I rarely interact with them. Just every once in a while, just to wish them happy birthday, and that's good. That's nice. But I'm not getting into heated discussions. I mean, they're they're not believers. I'm not getting into heated discussions on Facebook. That's not the place to do it. Um, so that would be how I would I would approach that an email and conversation and say you know what if you continue to doing this I'm I'm just gonna remove you from Facebook you don't have to deal with that
0: Mm -hmm. thank you yeah thank you I hope this answer is helpful for you too so if you have other questions you can post on chat in YouTube but we will continue with other questions we we have And there is some question from Old Testament, and how did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worship God? How did uh, the Israelites worship God while under the oppression of the Egyptians? Was in the same way as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob?
1: It's an interesting question. And I I think one of the things that we need to ask ourselves is, what was revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the people of Israel um, who were in in Egypt. Um, We don't have a written record until Moses comes on the scene. We don't have something that would be a formula or a pattern for worship. Um, What we do have is God um, choosing to interact with Abraham, calling Abraham out of of the Chaldees, and covenanting with him so there's this covenant there's this promise and um, you also have this kind of face-to-face interaction with with god and with with um, the patriarchs there right so i think worship basically is is living in light of the covenant in light of the promise that's how hebrews would describe abraham you know he believed the promise um, and so when God speaks to Abraham about sacrificing his son, he's gonna respond in obedience because he's believing the promise, right? Um, I do think in all of that, another thing you might find is that they, there, there were sacrifices. So there was this seed of understanding um, of the need for a sacrifice. And of course, that begins there with Abraham and his son, at least in, in, with the patriarchs, right? God provides a ram, and so there's this pattern now of God's provision through a sacrifice. Um, So I would say it's primarily obedience, um, you know, leaning on the promise that God has given you about the land and about the fruitfulness, um, as well as this practice of sacrifice. So it seems to be very limited, um, but we are not told other things that maybe they were given by God to actually be their forms of worship. you don't see too much of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's not until Moses comes that he begins now to record all these, all these you know, historical events. And as we're going to see in Exodus, he's going to establish now patterns for worship and, and requirements for worship and things, which would be the law, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's how I would see it unfolding.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So, let's go to another question, and what is hypostatic union?
1: What is the hypostatic union? Yeah, it's good. Um, Hypostatic union, the word hypostatic comes from um, the word substance. And the idea of the hypostatic union basically is um, the identification of Jesus as the God-man. How God's humanity and how His divinity Come together, and um, it was the Council of Chalcedon? I believe it was, is where they they debated on the different aspects of, you know, was he was he you know was he spirit and and then man was he was he divine was he, you know all these different things and ultimate understanding is that he's he's fully God he's fully man okay and that understanding then of God being fully man and fully God and fully man is called the hypostatic union. How does how does the God-man take, take shape? What does that look like as far as the person and the nature of Jesus Christ? So that's the hypostatic union.
0: Okay. Is is, is that something important for a Christian to understand? And, yeah, and... because
1: I think if you if you go back in history, I can't remember all the different ones off the top of my head, but there are, I think it's basically four or five, what we call her- heretical views about um, the nature of Christ um, in, in this in this union and I, I think it, um, I wish I could remember them now but I can't but it's important because Jesus has to be fully God he has to be fully man it's not a 50-50 thing it's a hundred percent God 100 percent man uh, The other thing there is that, that relates to that is that is what's called the kenosis, um, and it's basically the when Jesus did identify himself as man he, he willfully Set aside the free exercise of some of his divine attributes. So, um, in other words, as Jesus is laying down as a baby, I don't think he was looking up into his mom, and and he's he's you know he's doing calculus in his head. I think I think he was he was a baby, and he was um, his his development was consistent with being uh, a human being developing. So. When Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he begins reading Scripture, and everyone's amazed. It's not because of some supernatural ability. It's because he was a faithful son and child who learned and who studied and who who was um, exercising his 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 gifts not in a supernatural way, but in in his humanity. Um, and it's really not until um, uh, his baptism where. Those things are now released for him to, to exercise some of his divine aspects um, in ministry in particular.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you so yeah. much for the answer. So we are close to the end, and we have a few questions uh, for you. And another one is from New Testament. In Mark 3:29, it talks about uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yep. Um, can you elaborate on this versus eternal security?
1: <laughs> <laughs> How does it relate to eternal security? <laughs> I think maybe where the question is coming from is if someone, if someone blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, can they lose their salvation? So is it possible for a Christian to be guilty of this? Let's just read this: Chapter three and verse twenty-nine. Of Mark, and my note here says it's also found in Matthew chapter 12, I believe. So I'll pick it up here at verse 28 of chapter 3. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Or they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, my, my understanding of this is that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not something that a true believer can do. Um, and, and that being the case, then, then the person never had salvation to lose it. I think the idea behind it, and as I recall in Matthew's gospel, I think it's chapter 12, um, there's there's kind of more 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 data there, but the idea is that the people that were blaspheming against the Holy Spirit had a had a clear understanding that of who Jesus was, and that what he was doing was by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit. So they they had they had this knowledge because it was told them it was revealed to them. Secondly, though um they they went they went even with that information they rejected those facts all right so you can say oh, that's unbelief but it's more than unbelief because there are people that 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 are unbelievers who may not have heard the gospel articulated okay mm-hmm. we're talking here about someone who has the the gospel articulated clearly and that they they know that the whole that, that what Jesus had done was by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they're rejecting that, and not only are they rejecting it, they are now attributing what he has done to the power of Satan. So there's a, there's a, there's a willful choice to reject the clarity of who Jesus is and what he's doing by the power of the Holy Spirit and to attribute that to Satan, okay? Uh, so that's how it, what I understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's unbelief, but it's unbelief um, plus with, with with oomph to it, okay? Um, and uh, with, with an antagonism to it. Um, so I don't think it has anything to do with uh, eternal security. I don't think it, it has any effect on eternal security because this is not talking about someone who's a believer. In fact, it seems like in the text he's saying I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men and whatever blasphemies they utter, right? So it's saying here then, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilt of eternal sin. In other words, this person has has turned away from God in an antagonistic way um, so much that forgiveness is now out of their reach. Now, that's Jesus speaking it's not us speaking. We're not functioning that way in the context of the church. We don't have someone that comes to our church and say, no, I think you're guilty of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a warning that anyone themselves has to, has to make. Now, are there people who blasphemed, um, who, who attributed things? Yeah, I think there are. But I, I, think, I, I think the warning here is, look, you can be so hardened in your unbelief that you will not... Um, you, you've lost the, the potential of experiencing um, this wonderful salvation. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with, with losing your salvation at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Of course, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but that's... that's. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's deep. And so, for now, we have the last question uh, here no more question in chat so let's let's go into here in the light of the current event it seemed that many people deep inside are wanting the end of the world to happen with uh, that said how possible would be of the book of Revelation being the next book you preach on what are your fears of preaching through that book and what would you be excited about if we do end up preaching on it? And from the top of uh, your head, what is the most applicable implication <laughs> from the book you've believe, <laughs> for believers today? That's a lot
1: of questions there. Let's it's take. Like, what's the first question? Let's take like, that one first.
0: Yeah, it's uh, many people talk about the end of the world to happen, so and they want it.
1: Oh, I think the, the book of Revelation might be a place to go if that's the case. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I think people might be thinking this is the end of the world. Certainly, things are far more global, right? Um, but right now, they're nowhere near as bad as things have been historically in nations. Um, you know, if, if our... Are going through bad times right now is staying at home and watching Netflix. Then, <laughs> then I think we're, we're a really soft society, right? Um, Yet yeah, I think it does stir up thoughts of these are the kinds of things that you know might say happen in the last days. But let me remind you those passages of that passage in in um, is it First Timothy, um, or is it Second Timothy? I can't remember. Um, talking about the last days is, is not talking about the last of the last days, it's talking about the time from. Jesus' ascension to his return. Um, there, will, there will always be wars. There will always be rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes. There will be all these things, diff- different things happening. Um, so I think we need to be careful um, in thinking, oh, you know, just kind of the, the end of the world. Now we can say this kind of stuff is, is alerting us to the fact that the Lord may be coming soon. And we're all saying, T- bring it on. I mean, that's where we want to be, right? But at the same time, We wanna be careful that we're not reading our circumstances into a book like the book of Revelation. And I think oftentimes um, we may have a tendency to do that. Whereas maybe another book of the Bible would be far more helpful than going through a study of the book of Revelation. So I think the second question is would I I preach through the book of Mm Revelation? I I don't know if that's a request or if that's uh, in, in theory something, but I mean, yes, I would preach to the book of Revelation, of course, it's part of the whole counsel of God, but it may not be what you think it's going to be, okay? Why? Because I think we come to the book of Revelation, we, we put our own framework on it, mm-hmm. and we're expecting it to say some things about the last days, when that may actually not be the point of the text that you think is actually happening there, right? Just like we, we talked about manna, Mm-hmm. You know, we we need to get in and find out what is the actual point of this book. What's the point of the text? What's the point of of this particular passage? So, um, yeah, I would I would love to preach to the book of Revelation from the perspective of just finding out in greater detail what what God is saying to us through that book, but it may not be what we think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, having said that, I think. Um, I have not preached through the book of Revelation. I've taught it, but I haven't preached through it. Um, and honestly, part of that is because I, I, I'm kind of doing this, this second wave in my pastoral life, especially since we've been doing the Simeon Trust. Um, I'm, I'm actually thinking that when I go through a, a book like the book of Revelation, um, I'm gonna see things completely differently because I th- I think I had a framework that I brought to the book of Revelation rather than let it speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And that's not unusual, because we typically grow up in the church with different frameworks that those churches or denominations or whatever schools of thought have. And we kind of went over that last week with some questions about the millennium and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And we just need to let the text speak for itself. And that's my heart as a pastor and uh, I don't think we would study Revelation by sitting back and saying, oh, yeah, all this is going to happen in the future. That's nice. That's cool. That's great. I, I think there's far more going on there that is uh, applicable to where we are right now. Um, so, yeah, I'm fine doing it. I, honestly, on a personal level, I'm not eager to get there yet. And that's because I feel like I need to do some more work in, in my own giftedness, in the genre of Apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm moving in that direction, but I'm not I'm not there yet. Um, my my plan right now is, that when we're done with Exodus, is to jump into the book of Acts, because um, I think I think that's a there's a story there. Uh, it's a true story. It's a real story. It's a powerful story that I think our church is ready for, and that is just God on the move through His people and. Um, I'm excited to to see where that goes, and I'm still trying to work my way toward making sure that I'm prepared for that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not because I feel like I'm inadequate; I just feel like I I need more clarity on some things to, before I would get to the Book of Revelation, um, at least to preach through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with that.
0: Yeah. So is there any fear preach on the book on this book?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's always fear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because it, it's such a <laughs> volatile thing. And here's the thing, is, is the book of Revelation, it, somewhere at the beginning, you've got to say, here's my template. I mean, here, here's how I'm approaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and here's why. And, you know, so you might start down the path and say, oh, boy, what I thought it was going to say isn't actually what it's going to say. Um, because my, I have this framework. So um, it's, uh, other books, you don't quite have that. But with this, you do, and if if you go down a path, for example, in the Book of Revelation, and there are people in the congregation who don't agree with that path, or that's you know they're not antagonistic, but they're saying no, I don't see it that way, then they're stuck in the church for the next nine months as you <laughs> as you go through this, right? So um, so I mean, it takes it takes wisdom to say how are we going to approach a book like that because it can cause some not the vision but it, it, it might people might say well no I see it completely differently than that um, so I want to be careful um, and I would want to be be wise with that yet I'm not afraid to to do it I just think I think uh, we just need to be mindful about how we approach things
0: thank you yeah. it, it is also a hard book to uh, read and understand sure. because they have like complexity of literal understanding and vision prophecy yeah. So there is application for different type of uh, uh, like writing. So it's a leader was writing from the churches, actual churches in that time. And there was a vision which is like not applicable now, but it kind of it has to be addressed as the prophecy. It's mean not with framework we have and kind of like not with like theological even like based yeah. Sometimes to yeah. see the cre- clear picture, yeah. So it's like, is.
1: I mean, it's, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm avoiding it because there's no value to it. There is value to it, um, and and uh, I certainly believe that 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 God would strengthen us through it. But I think I think this it requires that much more wisdom. Yeah. To to go into a book like that. Is there
0: any implication, kind of like, una- uh, like fast in your head to believers about the book of Revelation? The
1: Lord is coming again. <laughs> you can be sure of that. Um, he certainly is coming again, um, and he is actively at work in his church. And I think I think both of those things are true. Um, he wins. I mean, I think you definitely get that, you know, as you get to the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, so there's certainly things that, that are future-looking, but... But I, I yeah, I, I, I just think some of those nuggets are helpful. But it's actually working through the whole book has, has some different implications. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we run out of all our questions wow. for tonight. Wow. Those are some heavy questions. Yeah, Alex. Times fly. Thank you for watching yeah. us tonight. Thank you for your hard questions, and it was like really hard for me even process to read them, but...
1: <laughs> you did well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but thank you, Pastor Rod, for this night and for the, your time yeah. for us to have a communication with us yeah. and with people who watch us tonight. And um, stay in tune with us, so we'll try to do it. And we're still testing our streaming uh, equipment so there is like we're still figuring out the best settings for us to stream for you and in the best quality and the best uh, option we can make with this equipment but i hope it's going to be better next time as we hope so and uh, we will invite maybe other elders uh, for our conversation but it depends on your questions So please send us questions, we can ask uh, Pastor Rod or elders from our church. So we'll be happy to listen for them and to have in this time conversation on, on a topic from the Bibles and also like for the spiritual benefits for us.
1: Can I say something before we say goodbye just about this coming Sunday? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper again. And um, I realized that, you know, we're not gathered together as a family, which is the, the most ideal and, and normal thing that a church would be doing and celebrating the Lord's Supper. There are some that say we shouldn't celebrate it. Um, I'm not one of those people. Um, I, I, think, I think this is the church gathered when we are doing it live stream. I, th- I think it's the best opportunity that we have. At the same time, we want to do all we can to make sure that it's done respectfully and that we're that we're, we're treating this, this beautiful um, symbolic ceremony um, in a way that would truly honor the Lord. So I wanna encourage you um, this Sunday, I, I'm, I'm not saying this because I've heard anything and all that kind of stuff, but I encourage you get up, you know, take a shower, comb your hair, get out of your pajamas, be like you're coming to church and, and get the elements ready um, in, a, in a respectful way, and if you, it means you know you need to go out and get some some red juice or something like that for it or whatever you're going to choose to do. Do it nice so that when it's time to actually celebrate together, um, we're, we're not kind of coming at it with some kind of lazy flippancy. I think one of the things that um, that we could say is possible during a time like this is that we we can be so relaxed with what we're trying to do with our Sunday morning church gathering because, No one's there looking back at us if we're watching the screen. And um, I just want to encourage you, you know, if we're reading scripture, let's stand. If we're taking the Lord's Supper, let's stand. And let's do our our best to make it um, respectful and and a time of real reflection rather than something that's really casual and um, laissez-faire, if you know what I'm saying. So um, uh, with that, I just want to say thank you for being here tonight, for interacting with us. This is fun for me um Some great questions, they're hard questions sometimes, um, but I hope this has been helpful and, and you've got some clarity. Uh, again, I would also say what's beneficial with all this is we do have some new equipment and we have been over the past few weeks trying to um, trying to learn it and trying to make sure everything's working together and uh, the first time we had just kind of a glitch that just kind of shut everything down. Uh, we fixed that and um, And uh, so this is this is all good. I mean, it's good to be doing the the, the Q&A time, but it's also good to be trying out the stuff because we're going to be using this as we continue on um, for our church services. So we want to make sure that we've we've kind of gotten all the bugs out and we would rather things fail a little bit here than on a Sunday morning. So um, this is why we're doing it this way. So thank you for your patience with us. Um, Thank you, Alex, for being our host and for Alexi, who's back there punching the numbers and fading us in and out and making us look great. Um, uh, God bless you. Have a wonderful night and uh, look forward to seeing you again on Sunday. Okay, take care.
0: Thank you. Good Bye. night.